0: Father, we come before you this night, and we ask that you would take this service and be able to use it to your honor and glory, that you would give us grace and strength to learn from your word and be encouraged and serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, if you need an outline, I believe Andrew has passed most of them out. Just kind of wave in that direction, put your hand up, and he will bring you one. We're in a series on Thursday night, searching for the true church. And, of course, we start in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church. And uh, he also said the gates of hell should not prevail against it. So we believe that Jesus started his church. Jesus is still building his church. And uh, the word that we like to use is perpetuity, continuance. That, that Jesus' church will continue. Now, the problem is, in Acts chapter 2, how many churches were there in the entire world? Local assemblies. Only one. In Jerusalem. As we go through uh, the books uh, of the New Testament, we'll even see uh, Paul talking about the churches of Galatia being that uh north central region region of the modern day turkey uh there were uh several churches there uh we wouldn't say a multitude but there was uh, definitely more than one there was a group of churches there we get to revelation jesus picks seven churches of asia in particular and writes individual letters to those churches Uh, They were not, of course, the only churches in Asia. There was a church at Rome. There was a church uh, different uh, places. Of course, we know of the Church of Antioch. And and, uh, yet today, how many different kinds of Christian churches do we have? How many different kinds of Roman Catholic churches do we have? You have primitive Roman Catholic, and you have uh, the, uh, uh, well, in the, what was it, in the 80s, you had the communist Catholic church that were running guns for the Sandinistas. I mean, there was all kinds of things going on in the Catholic church alone. Somebody said, how many different kinds of Baptists are there? Well, I have not taken time since my days in bible college to try to count them because one of my professors did and so this is about 30 years old i'm sure there's a few new varieties since then but he can't claim that there are 150 mainline divisions in the baptist group and uh... someone has once said how many independent baptist churches are there and uh... I would tell you that I don't know that it is humanly possible to count them, uh, because there are some churches out there, if you put their name on some list, uh, they don't want to be on anybody's list. They don't want to be counted uh, anyway, anyhow. They're, they're afraid somehow it's going to uh, violate their independence by just being listed as a fellowship of churches. Uh, we don't believe that necessarily, but I will tell you, as your pastor... Uh, we've had a few preachers put us on their uh, uh, list of churches, and I said, well, wait a minute, we don't, we don't really agree with you. We, I'd appreciate it if you just took our name off your list. Um, and, and so I don't know that anybody can account them. So what we're going to do is we're going to look for defining characteristics. Uh, the term that I like to use is Baptist distinctives these are specific points of doctrine and practice that separate us from other types of churches um, I, I've often used this example if you were to come to uh, to our, our church or even to my family and say I wanted to talk to Pastor Montoro, I may say, which Pastor Montoro do you want to speak to? Uh, Because I have a brother, James Montoro, that pastors in Massachusetts. And and, uh, uh, I have two sons that are in the the ministry at this point. And Andrew serves here. He's not ordained yet, but he's certainly uh, the assistant pastor of our church, and we're working toward that. And I say, you know, you might want to describe him. In fact, I was at the scaffolding company today picking up some uh, pieces. And he said, now which one are you? He said, are you Andrew or are you Peter? And I said, well, Andrew's my son. I said, he's the tall one. I said, or you can say I'm the old one. And he said, no, no, no. He said, we'll go with tall and short. And, uh, and so, uh, very, very accommodating salesman. He knows what to do to make sure that we like him. I like him anyway. Um, why can't we do the same thing with churches? Is Let's look for some defining characteristics. Let's look for a description. And, and so, uh, this is nothing unique to me. I'm not the only one that's taught that. We're arranging the truths, the the defining characteristics, the distinctive positions of the Baptist church in an acronym. We're going to spell Baptist. Amen. Uh, I don't know any better way of doing that. And, And so we've already dealt with, we spent a couple of weeks on believers' baptism. The way our church practices baptism can be found directly in the Scripture as it was practiced and exercised by John the Baptist the disciples, the early church. And as we said, the only difference between what John did and what we do is our perspective. John baptized with water unto repentance. That was his thing. And the question I always like to ask, does getting wet make you more repentant? No. What it is, is a public testimony of what's happened in your heart. John's baptism was looking forward to the coming Messiah. He had not been revealed yet. Jesus' baptism, not Jesus' baptism, baptism of the New Testament church, is just simply looking back to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The way it was a practice, the authority, all of those things are identical with the Bible. If, If you really want to get nitpicky, the only difference is the direction we're looking at. And so tonight we're going to move to the next one. And by the way, what I want to do is, is list these things out. I want you to pray for me. I've got some ideas in my head uh, of how to illustrate this in the days of transparencies. Uh, we used to have an overhead projector in the old building. And, and uh, what I did was I put all of these truths simply on a, on a graph. And then we listed all the other churches... And began to put filters over top of the doctrines where they disagreed. And it, was, and it had a quite an interesting effect, actually. Uh, but I'm not quite sure how to recreate that digitally. And so you, you pray for me that uh, get a little wisdom and, and uh, uh, what it turned out to be, uh, and you probably have this figured out all right, all except for Baptist, everything was black. Uh, because the truth has been moved and altered and changed. And one of the things that we are going to tonight, what we're looking for, the A in Baptist, and this is just my notes, is the authority of Scripture. Now, that word authority is a word most of us don't like. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have had issues with authority? You had a boss you didn't like. You had someone, okay, if you're alive, you probably ought to be raising your hand. Ninety percent of the issues we face in life have to deal with authority. And we as Americans, we have a unique, historically different approach to authority. I don't have to listen to you. I mean, in the days of the king, you didn't dare say that out loud. If you did, you might say it once, but you wouldn't have a chance to say it twice uh, because your vocal cords would be disconnected from the part that supplies the air. I mean, they they had uh, a very dim view of dissent in the old days. And yet people accuse us of being robots, automatons. We are all brainwashed idiots, if you believe the Bible. And yet, can we just explore that thought for just a minute? If you have had the privilege, I'm sure that most of us had, of walking through or driving through one of the more, how shall we say, culturally relevant portions of our city, what are you going to see? You're going to see ink all over people's bodies in various colors and shades. You're going to see hair dyed, uh, and, uh, the shades of the Pantone color chart. Uh, you're going to see body piercings. Uh, one preacher put it this way, it looked like you fell in your dad's tackle box uh, kind of thing. And, and not being disparaging, but I mean, it's you have all of these people, and what do they say? I want to be different. But I have a question for you. How much the same are they? I mean, you you listen to people talk about, well, let, let's take one of our uh, candidates for president who shall go unnamed, who believes that he has a brand new approach for American politics and he is the only one that is really relevant he's going to give you free education he's going to give you free health care obamacare is not good enough he's going to make it better than it ever has and he's going to tax the rich and he's going to make everybody equal now where in the world did bernie sanders come up with these ideas anybody want to take an idea It's a book called Das Kapital, uh, written by Karl Marx. Do you know where Karl Marx got his ideas for Das Kapital? From a Greek guy named Plato. Because, you see, they want to be new, culturally relevant, and they end up repeating the same old stuff. If you, I I still challenge you, if you really want to be radical, believe the Bible. Then you have the people, and I've had this happen, I counted a badge of honor. When somebody with 14 colors of hair and 55 Pearson looks at me and says, boy, you're weird. I say, ha ha, I have arrived, I'm there. Uh... The Bible says we ought to be a peculiar people. And I will tell you this in any age, in any people group, in any time. If you want to follow the authority of this book, you're going to be weird. You're going to be different. And yet, this is one of the distinctives of Baptist people. And so, uh, I went through my dictionary. The word authority had actually nine different definitions in the OED, about a page and a half. I just, uh, selected a few of them for you so that we might start on the same, at the same place. But the word authority, first definition is the power or right to enforce obedience, moral or legal supremacy, the right to command, to give an ultimate decision. Now, that's a great definition of the word authority, is it not? And and when we talk about the authority of Scripture, that's what we're talking about. The Bible has the right to enforce obedience. Now, if you hold the Bible and you have sin in your heart, it's not going to fry you. You know, and I know in all the horror movies, they hold a Bible up and uh, Dracula runs away or whatever those stupid things do. That doesn't work that way. The Bible is not a good luck charm. If you want the protection that's in this book, you've got to live it, not carry it. You carry it in your heart, not in your hands. Amen? And, and it is the moral and legal Supreme uh, supreme document. It has the right to command. We believe that the Bible is the court of final appeal. That you cannot go above or change the Bible. Definition number four says the power to influence the conduct and actions of others personal or practical influence. Oh, for the days when the Ten Commandments were still hung in the halls of our public schools. Someone said it might influence them. Well, I'd rather have them influencing them than Bernie Sanders. How about you? Or how many of you have heard of the Marijuana Reform Party? That is an actual registered political party in the state of New York. And if you really want something fun, the next time you get your voters guide, look at the pictures. They live the doctrine. I'll tell you, it is it is unbelievable. Uh, uh, I couldn't believe uh, that they would allow pictures like that to be published. Them in the in the voter guide, there they were, and, and uh, you you knew that they believed in, in what they preached. I wish the same were true of Baptist all the time. You see, the Bible should influence our decision. The Bible has the power over. It has the title to influence our opinions. This book is the authoritative opinion. It is the weight of judgment. It is the intellectual influence of the Christian of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean by authority. Isn't it silly that I have to spend a lesson on what we mean when we say the authority of Scripture? How many of you used to go to a Catholic or Orthodox church? A lot of people here. And what did they tell you? We believe the Bible. Isn't that what you were told? We teach the Bible. In fact, they, t- they would tell you we're the only ones that teach the Bible the right way. Everybody else is heretics, especially Orthodox. They are the ones. I mean, we're Orthodox. We hold the oldest beliefs. No, you hold the oldest innovation. Not the oldest beliefs. The oldest beliefs are recorded in the words. And if we take the words of this Bible and make them plain, you know what we have? We have Baptist doctrine. You see, Baptist doctrine is historically identifiable. In fact, I read a title of a book one time called The Radical Reformation and in the uh, little paraphrase or summary of the book it talks about in the middle ages the most persecuted people were the Anabaptists whose unfailing belief in the total, uh, in the final authority of scripture and refusing to bow to any man separated them from all other religious groups of the Middle Ages. And I uh, said, Amen. That's who we are. It, the, our, our doctrine is nothing new. We simply mean we do not look to any single man other than Christ or group of men other than the writers of the Bible to determine the doctrines of the church. I, when I was ordained as a pastor, a group of preachers got together, and uh, Brother Thompson, my pastor, was in charge of the council, and Brother Clayton was there, and Brother Marshall, and and uh, Pastor Folger, and, and and many of these, uh, uh, many of the men that I uh, most highly respected in the ministry, and they asked us questions about what we believed about this book. And I signed a paper saying that I hold to the doctrines that they tested me on, and if I ever change, I will gladly return my ordination to the Cleveland Baptist Church. And by the way, when we ordained Hiram Davis and and, uh, Michael Neuberger, uh, we made them make the same promise. that, And we investigated them out of the same book. You see there you can go and people say well this is what Baptists believe this is a Baptist book and somebody even wrote a Baptist catechism at one time but no one speaks for all the Baptist people in fact no one speaks for Open Door Bible Baptist Church except your pastor that's me I can speak for the church, but as long as I... If I'm speaking for our church and what we believe, I better be telling you what our church doctrinal statement that we put together when we were organizing as a church says. If I deviate from that, I have no authority to speak from the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. You see, this... What this means is... And, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you'll be patient with me, I hope. you often hear me make this statement. Go home and read what the Bible says and make sure that what I'm preaching is from this book. How many of you have heard me say that? If you haven't, you haven't been listening. Uh, and I say that often. That That statement is so different than almost every other religion. You see, Catholic priests can't tell you, go home and read your Bible and whatever you find will be in agreement with the Catholic Church. He can't tell you that. The Reformation proved that. That that doctrine and that practice is not wholly from the Bible. Do you know what? There has never, ever been, nor will there ever be, Someone who reads only this book called the Bible and says, I'm going to become a Jehovah's Witness. Because the things that they teach aren't in this book. They're just not there. Not even in their own translation that they edited to make it agree with them. And... What we can say as Baptists historically is, you read what this book says about itself and its authority. That's what we believe as Baptists. And historically, and when we get to the point where we've listed the, those distinctive points, where they're going to, then going to do a little history study and, and demonstrate that there has been, since the days of Jesus Christ, When he physically walked on earth, at least one church, after the days of the apostles, many churches that believed what we still believe and teach today. You see, the words of the Bible are the court of final appeal. Where the Bible speaks... We don't argue. We don't argue about baptism at this church. If you don't agree with what the Bible teaches, you you got to find another church. Because we will not allow you to become a member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church without submitting to scriptural baptism. Now, look with me if you would. And I apologize for not having a multitude of texts. There's just so many... Uh, in the Bible here that deal with this. But let's go to the book of Second Timothy here. And uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Oh, that's First Timothy. That's why it looks so weird. There we go. Now, here's... Why don't we read um, verse 11... Paul says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in... Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now, Paul says in verse 13, I want you to hold fast the form. Now, in order for that sentence to make sense, there has to be an identifiable form of doctrine that Timothy can hold fast to. Amen? Isn't that what Paul says? If he says, hold fast to the form, then then there's got to be a pattern there. There's got to be something that's identifiable. If we go over to chapter 2, in my Bible, it's just top of the uh, next column, it says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. You see, as Paul was writing to Timothy, this was Paul's last letter, as far as we understand, somewhere between 64 and 68 A.D. Paul was arrested the second time by Nero And he was executed uh, for his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sometime in that neighborhood, he is writing Timothy. He's saying, we have an established form of doctrine that you can adhere to. We have things that you have heard me teach, but you didn't only hear them from me. You heard them among many witnesses. They are verifiable. There are people that go through the Bible and try to teach that Paul taught one gospel and Peter taught another gospel. That's not Bible. When Paul is making that reference, he's talking about the the subjects to whom they were preaching. Paul primarily to the Gentiles, Peter primarily to Jewish people, not the doctrine that was taught. Because the doctrine was the same. And so where the Bible speaks, when a church says, listen, it is common knowledge that if you take a bath between October and April, you're going to die. And Jesus doesn't want us to die. Therefore, sprinkling is a proper mode of baptism so that we won't die in the cold weather of Europe versus the climate... That's actually in a Catholic history book I read. I'm sorry I couldn't give you the volume and the name. You see, that's what they believed at that time. That's why many of them did die. Because they did not practice proper hygiene during the cold months. One of the reasons the Jewish people survived pestilence and plague was because they did take baths. And, and they did practice hygiene. It was taught in the Old Testament and it saved them from many of the diseases and sickness. And these very people of Europe thought that the Jews were bewitched when all they were doing was staying clean. We all know that. We, we as an America, Americans of, of all people were germaphobes. Uh, we... And I like it. Amen. Somebody says, uh, why don't you travel to the mission field? Well, I got too many kids at home. Amen. Uh, I have the mission field right here. I, I'm i just, I like it right. I got too much to do right here. Amen. Um, one of these days, maybe. But uh, uh, I, I I think I've said enough. Amen. Let's move on to the next point. Now, there are, things that the bible doesn't speak about so I've given one example in here smoking you know, there's no verse in the bible that says thou shalt not smoke and uh, one of the things that we may understand about history or imply that the majority of people in the first and second century had enough sense that smoking wasn't an issue but today how do we deal with the issue of smoking? Well, read 2 Corinthians 6:17, it says, "Touch not the unclean thing. Would there be one person in this auditorium stand up and try to argue for the cleanliness and godliness of cigarettes? And we'll laugh you out the door, because you can't do that." It was like the fellow one time he said, "He said, "Beer is natural." Beer, beer is good. And I said, okay. His name was Dennis. I said, Dennis, I said, you go buy a six-pack of beer and bring it back here and sit it on your table. He said, well, why would I do that, preacher? I said, well, this is what I want, I want you to do. I said, you get that six-pack, sit it on the table there, and then I want you to pray over that six-pack. And I want to hear you thank God for all the goodness that's in that six-pack and how that beer is going to help you glorify God. And he looks at me and says, I can't do that. I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You can't do that. You don't need that in your life. You see, that's what we mean by allowing the Bible to speak on subjects it does not specifically speak about. What about iPhones there's not one verse in the Bible on cellular technology you know that and yet we have people that say these things are absolutely evil are they no can you do evil things with this oh you bet you can But I can also use it to send group text to all the members of the church to pray for things. And we're still working on getting that technology moving in the right direction. I'm a little slow. You'll have to forgive me all the things that Union has delayed some of this stuff. But I'm dumping it on Andrew, and so we're going to... Uh, get this thing moving. You're already, those that go on visitation on Wednesday nights and and different things are getting texts on a regular basis. And so we are moving in the right direction. You see what the Bible says, whatsoever you do, eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Can I use this to the glory of God? Yes, I can. But it also says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's why the Facebook app is turned off on my phone. Because I don't spend enough time with my face in this book, let alone in this one. Now, if you can handle that, be my guest. I'm not going to argue with you. But if you spend too much time just looking at things that are worthless, maybe it's time to put down the phone and pick up your Bible. Amen? How simple is that? And yet the Bible speaks very authoritatively on that. We believe no man, no group of men, no church. We do not believe that anything on this earth has a power or authority to change the words of this book called the Bible. We believe that the Bible... Needs to be understood literally. That means it's historical, cultural, grammatical, biblical context. If you're going to understand the Bible, you must understand it in the light of the Bible. This means, this book called the Bible, how many of you have heard? It's all full of contradictions. Next time somebody tells you that, say, show me one. I had a guy actually open it up and said, here's one. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen said there were 75 people that went into Egypt. And in Genesis chapter, uh, whatever it is, uh, 40 or when Jacob takes his family into Egypt, it said there's only 70. That's a contradiction. And I, I said, okay, now who was Stephen talking to? Well, the Pharisees and the Jewish priest. do you think if Stephen had made a mistake that was worth... They murdered him, same day. Do you think if Stephen made a mistake that was actually something that was worth arguing about, that they were going to let it go unanswered? You see, if you read carefully, one passage talks about all the souls that were born of Jacob, and there were several people that died in the land of Canaan, and the other one talks about the actual number of people that entered the land of Canaan. It's The Bible is correct. There is no contradiction. But the much simpler answer is these people were laying in wait for every syllable coming out of Stephen's mouth. If this were an issue, don't you think they would have argued with him about it? Uh, I believe they would have. And so... We, we believe the Bible to be without contradiction. We believe the Bible has one message, one truth, one Lord, one faith. And this last point we need to spend just a minute on, we never argue from history. Now, by that, what I mean is you're, we're going to make many historical references as we go through this thing, searching for the true church. But we're going to, we're not going to ever. But and if I do, somebody raise their hand or see me after service would be a little better. And I'll issue a correction at the next service. By God's grace, I'm never going to stand in this pulpit and say, "Well, uh, we have Peter Waldo who lived in 1180 in the area of Piedmont." And he believed this, and because Peter Waldo preached this in 1180, that proves the Bible is true. See, we never do that. This book does not need to be proven to be true. It is. We use history to verify the fact that Jesus said His church will continue. And Peter Waldo was one of those people who in the 11, late 1100s who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and if he spoke English and could be put in a time machine he he certainly would not be comfortable with our manner of dress and computers and technology and all that but when it comes to preaching the Bible he would be right at home because he preached the same message are, are we still together here? and so When we apply this, what we simply mean is that a church that is in existence today ought to have its faith and practice defined by this book, not the other way around. We don't go to the Bible. And here's an historical reference. You know that in the late 1500s, early 1600s in England, they came to physical violence over the issue of whether hymns should be sung in church or not. Now, how many of you remember Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus instituted the the Lord's Supper, uh, what we call uh, communion? What does it say? How did they end that first communion service? It says, and they sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. That's honestly... Uh, That's why I like to end our service, and we have, ever since Open Door Bible Baptist Church has been in existence. Uh, We don't end our prayer meeting with a song, but every other service we end with a song. And we use the same song. We've been using it for 20-some years. I have no intention of changing it, because it's just a great song to sing on the way out. Take the name of Jesus with you. I mean, how... Just one more reminder of what you ought to be done. But people argued about it. Why did they argue about it? Because they didn't read their Bible. People said, well, what about instruments? Well, you have to understand. To play a musical instrument would be to break the Sabbath. That's why instruments were not used in the synagogues. Because they met on the Sabbath day, which is supposed to be a day of rest, not a day of worship. It traditionally became a day of worship. Can we play instruments to the glory of God? How many of you sing better when the piano and the organ are going? I do. It kind of covers up all the noise I make. I mean, it just it works better that way. Uh, there's not an issue. These are things that the Bible does not speak directly about, but, the, but as we apply them, we do not change. We do not innovate when it comes to the Scripture. This book, and see, this is the problem with the purpose-driven life and purpose-driven Christianity, is Mr. Warren has come by an age-old principle. It's been practiced by the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church centuries before. It's called the doctrine of accommodation. That the church is here for us, and so therefore we have the right to change the church so it can be better for us. We don't believe that. The reason we hold Sunday night services is because that is the first time that Jesus held a church service. Because Sunday was a day of work in the Jewish work week. And so they had to go to work and they would meet Sunday night after work. Now, things have changed in our culture. Our main service is on Sunday morning. But that doesn't give me an excuse for not showing up Sunday night. The Bible says, so much the more as you see the day approaching, someone said, Why don't we have church every day, Pastor? I, I said, Well, we got let's let's get people showing up to the services we do have first. And once we pack out the building uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, then maybe we'll look at having other nights. But uh, let's let's just stick with what we got. Amen? And uh, so, um, when we have discussion, and, and there are people that argue about what the Bible says. Now, here's what Paul said. He said, we have no such custom to argue about what the Bible teaches. The Bible is is plain enough. We do not need to innovate. We do not need to argue. We do not need to change. And by the way, the Bible, if we take it as it is... We're not stuck in a time warp as the Amish people are, as the Muslim people are, as many different groups. They have chosen a date in history where their dress and their appearance is going to stay stationary. And what do they do? They become weird among the weird. And their tradition becomes more important, their outward appearance, than what the Bible teaches Now, here's the Bible principle, modesty, both for men and for women. That's the Bible principle. It should not be attention-getting. I thank the Lord. i got a pretty good collection of ties, but I don't have one tie that when someone walks in, they're going to go, Oh, wow, I don't wear those kind of ties. Never have. By God's grace, never will. Because that's not the idea. I don't want to draw attention. But if people will put one of these things on to make money, I'll put one of these things on to worship Jesus. Because it's important. That's that's why we ask our ushers to wear ties. If ties ever get redefined as some horrible thing, we'll come up with something else. Amen? When we talk about versions of the Bible, here's the ultimate point. If you can change the words, you're now the authority. That's the problem we have. And if you will study history, you will have churches, and there arguably were times and places where churches had what we would call a poor translation of the Bible. Uh, Some of the Latin translations that uh, were developed early on were some of the poorest and most terrible excuses for a translation of the Bible that has been known to history. But do you know that those people still treated that Bible as if it were... The divine authority in their church. They didn't try to change the words. I had a discussion with a fellow a little while ago, and he was talking about problems with my King James Bible. And I want to be very careful how I say this. There are certain texts in your King James Bible that people argue about. I don't argue about them. I choose to trust what's in here. I'm just... Um, It's non-topical to me. But, they say, I reject the King James Bible because of this handful, maybe five or six different passages, and I'm going to embrace the truth. Okay, so what truth have you embraced? That every word in the New Testament is now in question. Does that make sense to anybody in here? That i'm going to go from a bible that has half a dozen or so places where people like to take issue with it and i'm going to exchange that for a group of bibles that don't agree with each other and have a multiplicity where eventually every word in the bible is called into question who becomes the authority then I do because I'm the only man smart enough. All you people, you don't have time like I do to study the Word of God, and therefore I will give you the truth. Barf. Take it home and read it. It's here. You don't need to argue about it, you don't need to criticize it. Do you realize, you know, they accuse us. Of being King James only. And that is an innovation. That is a new doctrine. It didn't exist until just a few years ago. Well, how many of you are old enough to remember what life was like without computers? No, you're not. I mean, before computers... The only way you could compare things, it would take an entire library to investigate just a few manuscripts. You know why? Because you would have to have five or six different Greek lexicons. If you were doing the Hebrew, you would have to have several of those as well. You had to have a place to spread the manuscript out. You had to compare everything. It it would take uh, 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 an incredible library, an incredible amount of time, an incredible amount of effort. Now, I have a Bible program on my phone where I can type it in and everything is right here on my phone. Do you know why the King James only position is a new position? Because it's only been in the last 25 years or so that we've had enough technology for it to become an issue. Because before that time, it was relegated to colleges and people who had enough time and enough books and enough resources to do nothing but spend their time looking at languages and studying manuscripts Now you can do it on your cell phone. I'll tell you what. We're not the innovators. They are. You could not possibly have what they now call a majority text Bible 25 years ago. Because it would take a shelf of books that would fill one of those side sections of our auditorium just to be able to do the collation work so that you could have what a majority text Bible is today. That's a compilation of all the minority with the majority and when you add a little bit of poison to something good it'll still kill you, won't it? And so we are the old-fashioned Bible thumpers guilty as charged. We, We believe in the old King James Bible. We don't argue about versions here. Because there's too much left undone in the version I have to be arguing about words that don't make a difference in how I'm going to live tomorrow. Does that make sense? We want to follow the authority of God's Word. We want to allow the Bible to teach us rather than us teach the Bible. And just couple references. One reference from history that I like to use often is a man named Peter Reitman. Lived in the 1530s. What is modern day Czechoslovakia, uh, Austria, that, that area there of the world. Um, uh, it was 1994. I was writing and developing our church constitution and bylaws at that time. And somebody gave me Peter Reitman's book, translated into English, praise God. And uh, I read that book. And what Mr. Reverend Reidman was doing was he was in prison because he refused to be a part of the Roman Catholic system. And so to keep himself from losing his mind in, in jail, in confinement, he said, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to write what I believe. And he was quoting scripture from memory and, and writing it in there. And I'm writing our church constitution and bylaws, and I said, "Man, I could just, I could just plagiarize Reidman, uh, and, and put it into our church constitution and bylaws, and, and there'd be no real argument at all." Now, Peter Reidman did go on to join another group called the Heterian Brethren and believed in communal living and a few things like that. But that doesn't negate that he believed that the Bible was the authority of God and he believed in believers' baptism and he believed in salvation by grace and through, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He believed in the autonomy of the local church. Tell you what, he was a Baptist through and through. We have nothing in common till we get to heaven. But you see... He was using the same authority, and it influenced his decision-making. It changed his opinion to make it in agreement with the Bible. And 500, 400 and some odd years later, a little preacher in New York City was doing the exact same thing without reading Mr. Reidman's book first, and we came to agreement You see, because we had the same authority. That's why it's so important we don't change the words. Believer's baptism is unique to the Baptist church. The authority of Scripture in the way that I have tried to explain it tonight is unique to the Baptist church. Uh, There are other people who have tried to practice these things, but they have no history. In fact, if they were honest, they would have to say that they were Baptist people. And so, what we're doing as we're searching here, we're searching the Bible. We're going to find some things that are, as Paul told Timothy, it's a form that you can hold fast to. It's a tradition, it's a, it, but you've heard it among many people. It's recorded in the Bible. Bible traditions are not bad. Man-made traditions are not good. We've got to stay with what the Bible says. And there's many things the Bible doesn't speak about. But we do have application of what the Bible says to give us judgment to know. Certain things are not good. Touch not the unclean thing. That just solves so many problems, doesn't it? Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That solves a lot of problems. And it doesn't have to be me as the pastor dictating to you everything that you do or think. Because the Holy Spirit of God will use His Word to convince you of what the Bible says is true. And that is the basis for the unity in our church. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to be faithful to these biblical truths. And Lord, that we would understand what it means to be baptized in Jesus' name. To, to experience the ordinance of believers' baptism. Lord, to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture rather than trying to manipulate the Bible to agree with us. Help us as we go through this study that you would encourage us in the faith that you began with the disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just have the piano play. If you need to slip out and spend a little time, the altar's open. We're almost finished.